Well, hey y'all, it is Jean Nathan and it is Crosstown Conversations and here we are on the cusp of the big Essence weekend and I don't think there's anybody in the city of New Orleans who doesn't know that that's happening and um, I think the thing that uh, most people know by now, but a lo- not everybody, that as along with all the fabulous entertainment and of course there's some great stuff coming in this uh, season as usual. Um, there's also a very rich program of speakers, and um, I, I, I'm just always floored by the people that are brought in. And one of them is one of my favorite uh, folks in the world, and somebody who we all know and love in New Orleans. Mark Morial is uh, coming home. And uh, he's going to be in the program, and he's going to be talking basically about the, the state of black America. But I, um, I rely on Mark for perspective on um, all matters, political, sociological, whatever. And um, so I really wanted to reach out to him and get his perspective on what's going on in the national uh, political scene. And so um, – I, I couldn't get him quite during our show because of the time frame, so we pre-recorded him. And uh, I'll warn you, the audio is not sensational because, you know, we did our best, but it's it's with phone lines. But uh, he has such a powerful voice um, that he did just fine. And I think you're going to find this uh, discussion pretty interesting. So we're going we're gonna to go ahead and roll that interview, and then we're going to follow that with Melanie Bronfman, who's going to talk about our kids and how critical it is what happens to them in those first four years. And a little bit of help that we're getting from the state on that coming out of this session, but a lot more that we need. So here goes Mark Moriel, former mayor, now chief um, uh, executive officer and president of the National Urban League. I'm excited to be talking with you because it is really um, difficult to follow what's going on in Washington right now. It's difficult in every way, emotionally, psychologically, politically, sociologically. I mean, and from every angle. And of course, I've been a, yeah. I've been a total junkie to the evening cable shows so I could follow. Initially, it was kind of like a soap opera and then it got much more serious. Um, but the, the developments yesterday are, are really interesting to me because on the one hand, um, of course, nobody thinks this is the end of the story uh, with the health care bill that uh, did not uh, come up for a vote because the votes weren't there for the Republican group that put it together in the dark in some back room. But the truth is, of course, it isn't over till it's over, as we very well know here, and they'll come back. But I'm fascinated with two things. One, um, the resistance. I feel like the, quote, resistance, people in neighborhoods, uh, people in the Capitol, people everywhere, are so much more alert and aware to what's going on politically in their own towns and nationally in particular right now that there is this swell of of action. So I'm I'm thinking, hmm, maybe it really took it going to this point and I'm not going to elaborate on the point because we all know what that is. It's it's just kind of a mess. Um to to yeah. rally people. So that's my first 
kind of positive, yeah. let's say, instinct about all this. And then the second one is yesterday, for the first time ever, you heard some Republican Congress people talking about working with the Democrats. Hello, bipartisan effort to fix whatever needs to be fixed with Obamacare in a way that is right for people and not wrong, cutting off 22 million people. So what, what's your take on it? Yeah, so I, I just want to thank you for uh, the opportunity to speak to your listening audience and speak to all my beloved New Orleanians. And uh, I am forever and ever a New Orleanian. Love our, our city, love its people, uh, and always excited to be able to speak with them and hear from them. Uh, here's what I'll tell you. Uh, the fall election has had deep consequences because what it's done is it's ushered in uh, a movement in America, a movement to power in America, which seems to be designed uh, and seems to be intentional about reversing uh, 50 years of social and economic progress uh, in America. The health care discussion and debate is just one piece of this effort. Other pieces to the effort are pieces to roll back civil rights, uh, reverse course on criminal justice and prison reform, uh, de-invest in programs that help people climb out of poverty, uh, and otherwise create a tax code that favors the most well-off Americans at the expense of struggling and working-class Americans. That's the broader narrative. It's a narrative to really turn time backwards. Yes, there's been uh, a resistance because the people are smart, the people are watchful, the people are vigilant, and the people are intelligent. But make no mistake about it, there are also those who are standing squarely behind the effort to turn back the hands of time. The health care bill uh, proposed by the GOP has been from the beginning a bad bill, a trash piece of legislation, because all it's really designed to do under cover of what I call legislative calisthenics is to give a tax cut to the wealthiest of Americans and do it by cutting back on Medicaid, cutting back on, if you will, uh, subsidies and supports that were in the Affordable Care Act that help working people who make too much to be eligible for Medicaid uh, have a health policy, a quality health insurance policy through the exchanges. Let's stipulate this. The, the Obamacare Affordable Care Act was never, quote, a fix for all of the problems in the American health care system. It was never sold that way. It was never designed that way. So it's always interesting to me to hear people criticizing uh, problems in the health care system that predated uh, the passage of the Affordable Care right. Act that predated uh, even the president's term, President Obama's term in office. Right. Uh, and that is patently unfair. Premiums have been going up for a long time, uh, no doubt. Uh, difficulties with people obtaining coverage have been there. Uh, what the Affordable Care Act has done is give 18 million more people, 18 million or so more people, a chance to have uh, coverage for both preventive, acute, and chronic diseases. That's the point. And the alternative proposals would strip away 22 million uh, people's health care coverage 
No, a modern, prosperous nation, a nation with a value system that cares uh, for all of its people, cannot countenance such a proposal. And I think what the proposers of that proposal, the repeal and replace proposal, are seeing is that, number one, the Congressional Budget Office has told the truth, that it would raise premiums and cost people care, that the polling, including polling that's come out this afternoon, shows it's deeply unpopular, which is why it's unraveling on the Republican side uh, of the aisle, if you will. Now, now Mark, if I can, let, let me capture that moment for a second, because I think this is really important. While we listen to the president call out the fake, quote, fake media, um, which is just the, his usual trying to besmirch the other side of everything he does that um, other people don't agree with. The, the, what I feel happened is that you had everybody calling for uh, for the repeal of, of Obamacare because they really didn't know what it meant. They just thought that it was something that was a, quote, giveaway to poor people and uh, for lower middle income and middle income people who are suffering also, they kind of felt, hey, what about us? And they were just annoyed with it and, and, and wanted to see it go away. But he, they didn't understand what it really was. It took the media over these past weeks and months to reveal the story because, quite frankly, I I, I know Chuck Schumer gets up there in front of Congress and, and says what he has to say, but I don't feel like the Democrats have been getting a message out on this. And it, and it really has been the media that's shown a light on what this is about. You hear 22 million people will not get Medi- Medicaid on television, on, in the radio, uh, in the papers. Yes, look, the, media, the media's role in, in educating the public, I mean, it's easy to criticize the media if you don't like what they broadcast. Uh, it's easy to criticize the media if you're looking for a foil in a cheap political game. But the truth of the matter is, is that people are because of the media. And I think the more the president criticizes the media, the more intentional they're going to be to get the facts out about affordable health care, about uh, tax reform, about any major issue that may be debated and discussed uh, in our nation's capital, uh, you know, no doubt. Uh, but, look, here's the real point. The real point is that people shouldn't think that the bill is dead. I think people should contact Senator Cassidy in Louisiana, contact Senator Kennedy in Louisiana, contact every member of the House delegation and say, vote no. And I think the members need to hear Louisiana and the expansion of Medicaid by Edward has provided health care coverage to some 300,000 Louisianians. 300,000 Louisianians benefited from the expansion of Medicaid. How can anyone look those folks and their families in the eye and say, you don't deserve to have health care anymore? Uh, I think that that is what this gets down to. It gets down to uh, more of a question of morality, of sensibility, of compassion, of respect, of human dignity, than a question of just politics. And that's why I think the Obamacare Affordable Care Act 
for all of the problems people have assigned to it is the most important piece of social legislation, surely, in the last 25 years passed by the U.S. Congress. Couldn't agree more. And and just to uh, underscore one aspect and to nationalize, we have 300,000 people. Some I've heard even figures as high as 400,000 people affected. Um, in other states and other poor states, and Kentucky is one of them, Connell State, the people in Appalachia who are suffering enormously, a huge percentage of people in that state also stand to lose all their benefits. But I want to move, just as you were just moving away from just the um, health care issue, Mark, I I have this conviction that neither party is embracing the reality of the economic revolution that we are in, this technological revolution, that if we don't help figure out how to help our older citizens that are losing their jobs in factories, as well as our young people coming out of high schools unprepared for this economy, things can only get worse. Well, look, let me say this. You talked about the technological revolution. And I think uh, one of the keys to the technology revolution is we've got to reform and retool the way we prepare workers and train people. Right. And I think we need a stronger commitment to adult training, adult retraining. Right. uh, To help them qualify for the new types of jobs. But also, old jobs require new skills. This is what's important. Old jobs require new skills. Even people who are, let's call it automobile repair people, use computers and uh, uh, technology and sophisticated diagnostic equipment that they need to know how to use in order to do work that just requires a wrench and a screwdriver. So we need a larger commitment. And I think the tension, Gene, is this. You know, we have this tension between what kind of economy do we have. We have purely a free market economy. What's the role of the government? And I believe that the government does play a leadership role in helping to guide the nation uh, in terms of the things we need to do so that the economy can grow and grow in a way that benefits everyone, not just a handful. And so that, to me, is one of the critical needs now. We need leadership around workforce development, around job training, around apprenticeships, around working with young men and young women uh, who uh, are just coming out of high school, uh, community college, and four-year colleges. Right. We need a comprehensive approach uh, to preparing people for the jobs of the 21st century. Uh, you couldn't be you couldn't be more uh, more apt and more accurate when you talk about that. Now you know people forget that New Orleans once had a manufacturing base. Yep. Uh, you may remember uh, Wembley Standard Plumbing Company, which was located out on the lakefront, uh, near where across the street from where the UNO Arena is, which used to make plumbing fixtures. Uh, you may remember that New Orleans was once the burlap and one of the rope-making capitals uh, of the world. Uh, we had a strong manufacturing base. We lost a bit of that manufacturing, considerable amount of that manufacturing base. Uh, but New Orleans has a future in biomedicine, in bioscience, uh, in leveraging the power of great universities. Because they be prepared doctors and scientists. Uh, look at Tulip and, uh, and, and Loyola and Dillard and all of the other schools, and the ability to leverage that 
to build an economy of the future because what they're doing is they're training, they're preparing tomorrow's leaders, workers, corporate executives, and social engineers. And the creative industries. And the creative industries, which we've always been uh, a leader in. Uh, Mark. No, no question and no doubt. So I think people, uh, I want to just, you know, issue a call to action for people to be active, to be involved, not to be cynical, uh, to be prepared to continue to work and to fight, to resist the rollback, to protect our progress. Uh, the Urban League is working on that every day. We work on it through our programs. We work on it through our advocacy. Uh, we do, we're doing great work across the nation. We're doing great work right there in New Orleans to prepare and train the workers of the 21st century. Mark, I know I have so many more questions for you, but we're going to run out of time, and I'm afraid of an interruption again. I just want to ask you. Well, schedule it again. I will, but look, before you go, I just want you to remind everybody you're going to be here in New Orleans for Essence. You're going to be speaking on the state of black America. Give us time and place if you remember it at the moment. Uh, I'm going to be 3.30 on Saturday at the Memorial Convention Center. I'll be in New Orleans as a part of this Essence Festival. And, you know, Gene, I'm proud to have been one of the founders of this festival back in 1995, along with Susan Taylor and Ed Lewis and uh, Clarence Smith, and this tradition that they began is now being carried on by the very talented and dynamic Michelle Ebanks, who's the president of Essence Communications. And so Essence has grown to become the largest live event uh, in the United States. Essence has grown to be an unparalleled cultural extravaganza, celebration of music, art, uh, and culture. It brings people from all over the nation and all over the world. Uh, to New Orleans. So we look forward to coming, and I'll be there to give an address on the state of black America, on assisting the rollback, on protecting our progress on Saturday afternoon at around 3 o'clock at the Morial Convention Center. Mark, have a great talk. I hope to hear it, and um, I will definitely uh, tune back in and get you on to talk a little bit more because, really, I had about five, ten more questions um, to throw at you, and we'll do that another time. Come back on. I appreciate your friendship. Appreciate your powerful voice uh, on the radio. Uh, vice versa, big time. Thank you. And I hope to see you Saturday. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. So, <laughs> he's amazing, right? I mean, he just, um, he lays it out. And uh, thank goodness that we have him at the uh, at the leadership of the Urban League, which is such a major uh, voice in the country. And you see him all the time speaking up um, at various uh, national uh, radio, television programs, and not to mention the, uh, the Essence program that he's going to be in this weekend. But um, I'm sitting here with Melanie, and, and this is sort of kind of a perfect segue, because what Mark was talking about in terms of dealing with the economic changes we're going through is adult uh, training and um, high school preparing our, our high school graduates for the technological world. But what's, what's fascinating is the extent to which what happens to children in their first years is so determining of how they're going to function, perform, be productive in their entire lives. And we've been chiseling away at our programs for early childhood 
in this state for, well, ever since Jindal was in, basically, I guess. So that was eight. And now we have two years where we're trying to you know, catch up during a time of the oil um, industry crash, which, of course, affected our um, state revenue so badly. Um, so it has been a very, very rough time. We have this little smidgen of good news that um, is is coming to us via Melanie Bronfin, who is the executive director of the Louisiana Policy Institute for Children, and um, she's here to both, you know, cheer. And I, I see Morell, J.P. Morell again. He's such a hero in so many ways, and. Um, and uh, Walt Legere looks like he helped. And then you had just a whole bunch of folks from all over the uh, state that came to your side to help get some of that money back to help parents who want to make sure that their kids are getting preparations in their early years so that when they enter school, they are going to be able to perform well and and. I, amazing statistics. I'm just going to let you reel them out. I mean, one of them that just floored me was that more than um, 65% of our families, both parents are working. That means you have to have some kind of child care, but so many people don't, and they wind up having to drop out of the job market, all kinds of terrible things. Give me a little bit. Give me some of your numbers on this. I'd be happy to, and thank you so much, and thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Um, As you so eloquently said, we have come to appreciate that this time of life, we used to think birth to age four was the least important time of life, that caring for children was babysitting, and anyone could do it. And um, in terms of leaving children in care, that it was babysitting. And now we know, though, uh, through brain science, all kinds of research that has happened over the last 20 years that exactly the opposite is true, that birth through age three um, and age four are the most important time of life, that 80% of brain development is happening, birth through age three and 90% by age four. And it's the brain is built um, like, a, like a house from the bottom up. And so like the house, the first three years of life are the very foundation of the brain that's being built. And so again, like a house, you can go back and fix a weak foundation, but it's very difficult and expensive to do so. And that's why when kids start school behind, so often they stay behind. Let me, I just want to go into that in a little bit of detail. So I need to understand um, exactly what's happening in the brain during that time and and what are the factors that impact it and help uh, uh, build that foundation? That's a great question. So we, we've, what we now know is that it's all about interaction with an adult. So for a child, um, it's about like a TV won't work. It needs to be a human being, and there have been studies about this, um, and they call it the serve and return um, factor. So where a child does something and the adult responds in a positive way, facial expressions, that kind of thing. So that's why, for example, in early care and education settings like childcare, the ratio of adult to children is so important. So if you have, as we sadly do in Louisiana, where you can allow 11 two-year-olds in a room with one teacher all day long, that's one of the worst teacher-child ratios in the country that we have. Um, 
that is very difficult because that adult can't really interact well with those children. And so the key thing is teach your child interactions for a classroom or, or parent. And that's why, of course, a parent is ideal, one, a one-to-one relationship or, or a ratio or one-to-two or one-to-three. But, you know, the more children you have, the, especially for the younger children, it can be very challenging. So um, that's why child care costs so much and high-quality child care costs so much. Um, it cost almost as much as a public college tuition currently in our state. That was another number that amazed yes. me when I read your material. Yes, it's well, the college average education cost, is phenomenally expensive. It's incredible, and to think, you know, we we as a country have put so much money into our college public money into college, which isn't a bad thing by any means, as we've just discussed. Um, with uh, Mira Morial that, that, you know, we need to have training and all that for our, for our young people and for even our adults. But on the other hand, it's important not to neglect birth to four, which has just about no money going into it. Um, and at that time of life, um, you know, when parents have so little time to save, with college we, can, we have 18 years to save for our kids to go to college. When a child's just starting in childcare, you've had just about no money, to, no time to save, and yet um, a parent needs to go off to work, and that child needs to be somewhere. And so um, that's the real challenge. And in our state, sadly, we have cut well, the only program we have for public funding for early care and education for our children under age four is the child care um, child care assistance program. It's the only state-administered program. And we have cut that program by almost 70%, by $65 million over the last eight years. And, and, uh, that's, a, that's a horrible number. It's pretty but, stunning. But, but <laughs> give, me, give me the little implications of it. I mean, so that okay. means, you know, give me some anecdotal. For example, that means how many fewer children and families. So we have gone from serving 40,000 children um, in this program, the Child Care Assistance Program. And I, I should clarify that that's specifically targeted at low-income parents and families who, ha- who are working or in school or in job training. So this isn't for someone just to drop their kid off and, you know, go off and do something fun. This is, you know, helps our economy. It's for parents to be able to work or go to good job training to be able to get skills that they need or to finish school. Um, so we've gone from serving 40,000 kids eight years ago to under – 18,000 kids today. We more than halved it. And if you, we, and I should clarify, a bright spot for Louisiana is we have an excellent pre-K program for our four-year-olds. And that is something we have sustained and grown over time. It's very high quality. Um, we, there are a number of different programs, but they're all high quality. There's LA4. Um, there's something that's called AG and, and SECD. But anyway, they're basically all programs for four-year-olds. The challenge in our state is the minute you get under age four, there's just about nothing. And so we're serving less than 15% of our at-risk kids in any publicly funded program under age four. And, again, you have to contrast with, with that figure 67% of parents ha- – of kids, I'm sorry, have both parents working. So you contrast those two figures. Yeah, those are, those are terrible numbers. Um, and – uh, again, reading your material, the phenomenal impact this has on, again, the capacity, the capabilities of an individual as they're growing up. Yes, it's incredible. I mean, that you- results from not getting what they need in those first four years is phenomenal. And the impact on our economy 
and our competitiveness. Exactly. It's stunning on, in two different generations. So from the child's perspective, um, what the studies have shown, and they have these very cool randomized control trials over 30 years where they follow these kids who've had high-quality care versus those who haven't. And it, it makes sense if you think about if you start school behind and then you're ending up in special education and then you're ending up repeating a grade and then you end up dropping out and then you end it just keeps going it's so hard to catch up and again remember brain development and that foundation that you built and meanwhile we're spending as a state so much more money on special education grade repetition and then dropping out of and then that child ends up more likely in the criminal justice system I earning was about less wages. to say and there's a direct so, link isn't there, there is. between this oh, definitely. the failure to deal with kids before four and kids who wind up in it, it, the, you, the studies show it. And, in fact, there's like a national organization, which we have many uh, members of in our state, called Fight Crime Invest in Kids. And it's an organization of sheriffs and DAs and um, and police chiefs who fight for more funding for early care and education because they recognize, they look at the studies and see we're less likely to end up with kids and adults in our system if that system worked better. So it's a very direct link. And what's fascinating, too, is economists now have done research around return on investment in investing in early childhood. So the big leader in this it has actually won a Nobel Prize for his work. His name is Dr. James Heckman, and he finds there's a 13% return on investment um, by investing in early childhood education. So for every dollar you spend on early care and education for children birth through age four, you get of public funds, you get a 13% return on investment. And I love he has a quote that I can't. That's pretty high, isn't it? it? it well, I wish I could get that on my money in a savings <laughs> account or any, any kind of, right. any kind of investment account. 13% return on investment is amazing. And, um. What's his name again, Dr. James Heckman. He's at the University of Chicago. And as I said, he run, won a Nobel Prize for his research on, in this topic. Is there a book that he's written? Or? Um, well, no, there's a, there's a wonderful website. Well, he has written books, but there's a wonderful website called the Heckman Equation. Um, and it's www, I think it's heckmanequation.com or .org. That has a lot of his research, and, and actually it's really nice because it has his research in layman's words that we can understand. You have to be an economist to understand. So it's not a dry, horrible. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's meant for, it's help meant us, for us understand and it's motivate meant for us. us. But, I, you know, I was also going to address the parent perspective. So as you mentioned, so if you don't have child care, these parents – they're working. It's not that parents aren't working. It's just that they can't then access reliable childcare from their perspective. I mean, it's also probably not high quality, so that is why a child is starting behind. And I should say the statistics that we have right now in Louisiana, 43% of our kids in public schools are entering kindergarten behind. So, again. So what does that mean, entering kindergarten behind? It means they, when they enter kindergarten, we give children an assessment. Um, and the assessment is really to help guide teachers on how to help them as they go forward. So it's not like um, that, you know, you kick them out of school if they don't pass it by any means. But it's more about where is the child in their development, in their socio-emotional development, in their numeracy, their literacy, all that kind of stuff. And according to those assessments, our statistics show in, in our state, the Department of Education, that 43% of our kids enter kindergarten and they're behind. So, again, all that we've just talked about around brain development suggests that's how they're starting. And, frankly, if you follow that figure and you look at the dropout rates and you look at the well lack of graduation rates, that figure pretty much gets paralleled as you go up, you know. So the – 
actually, the reason we we had you come in today is because you all just um, were able to get the state school readiness tax credit program. That's a mouthful. It is. Um, uh, Five million additional dollars to try to help. Yes. With the with the zero to four. So tell me a little bit about that. But then I, I want to come back to what is that? What is that? Pro, what what kind of programs do people actually put their kids in? And what if they cannot get a program? What about the what is it now? Uh, you said forty thousand were getting childcare. Now it's down to eighteen thousand. So. That's that's a gap somewhere, you know, around twenty twenty two thousand right. people. What can those parents who don't have the money do to help their children during that time? Mm, that's a good question. That's okay. a very good question. Um, well, first to talk about the school readiness tax credits, if I may, um, because that is a shining light for our state, just as our pre K program is, which we have to fight every year to sustain that funding for our four year olds, and it was cut by two percent, but it was a slight cut relative to other things, so we're grateful that it was sustained as much as it has been. But um, we'd like, of course, the 2% to be <laughs> replenished But um, as we go forward. But but the school readiness tax credits are this very cool tax credit package that are unique to our state and has been held out as a national model. It's not a huge amount of money. It's $16.5 million, which is a lot of money, but compared to the cuts of $65 million, you know. But what's very cool about them is... They help each piece of the system. So there's one for parents. It's not that much money per parent, but it's some money for child care, and it goes up. It's tied to the quality of the programs. So if a parent chooses a higher-quality program, they get a little bit more money. Hmm. Um, so it's to incentivize that. But, I mean, the average amount per parent is $250. So it's just it's just a little incentive there. Um, it's, a, it's for teachers, and so as teachers get better training, they get more of the tax credits, so it has, it's been very successful in having teachers go back to school and get more training. In Louisiana, to be a child care teacher, you don't even need a high school degree. It's pretty incredible. And most of these folks, even at $5,700 average cost per year, we are, a, the child care providers are able to pay their child care teachers. Many of them are getting paid minimum wage with no benefits. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine the quality, the, how much education that person is probably going to have if that's the kind of job that, if that's what our, we are paying. So bottom line is these tax credits have incentivized teachers to go back to school and they get this tax credit for doing so, which has been great. And many have done so. And then, um, it also, there's one for the child care providers who are willing to serve low-income kids, and they get more money based on the quality of their center than star rating, which is what our quality rating system does. And they're ones for businesses that support them. So I'd love to give a big shout-out to our center. And it was New Orleans-area folks. Well, there was a Baton Rouge lady as well. But um, Senator J.P. Morrell was incredible in leading um, the charge to get more funding for these tax credits. I was actually surprised to see his name on this because I I was just praising him a week ago on on this show uh, for helping to uh, restore the uh, film tax credits that are so important for our film industry. So I have to say, J.P. Morrell sounds like... He's been very busy. Yeah. Working very hard for his citizens. Yes, he has. Seriously. Yes, he has. Uh, 
You talked about quality, and 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 um, uh, if somebody goes uh, gets a um, their child into a higher quality program, they get more credits. What does that mean? What is that? What what makes a, one program have higher quality than another? And how does a, a, a mother? Uh, father um, choose a program. Yeah. How, how do they judge that quality? Well, it, m- most pr- parents don't know, and I have to confess, I I have a lot of education. I'm a lawyer, but if my husband wasn't a pediatrician, I wouldn't know what to look for. It's you know, it's it's not necessarily intuitive by any means. But the key factors that go into the quality of a program are uh, or to look for objective things that you can look for are the, the education of the teacher. You know, does she have um, at least a high school degree, and it's even better if she's got specific training. There's something called a CDA, which is a certification that you can get with just a high school degree, but it does add a lot of training and um, other things around early childhood itself. So, you know, to ask, do the teachers have a CDA or a bachelor's degree or an a- associate's degree in early childhood, one of those criteria that's important the other thing is to look at the number of kids in the classroom per teacher so the teacher child ratios are very important for young children like birth to age two you know a dream is one to four one to three um one to four is like the head start early head start ratios which are very good um and and up from there and and then a real key component is how that teacher is interacting with the children. At the end of the day, those qualities will help the teacher to be able to interact well with the children. But the actual way to look at what is quality is, is the teacher interacting with the children? As we've talked about that serve and return, you know, in a way where they're positive, they're drawing the child out to talk, to think, to play. Um, is it calm? Not calm. Children are not always calm. But in terms of, you know, happy, is it interactive kids are thinking hard and attending to task and playing well with each other. It sounds like the best way uh, might be if if I were looking to place uh, my child right now in a program like this, I might want to actually observe, go to a program and observe. Do they let you do that? They should. If they don't, I'd be very concerned. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, as a parent looking for – if you're a parent looking for childcare for your children, there are a number of steps you can take. So that's a great point is first you can go to the Department of Education website and look up the center. In fact, you should do that. Um, You can search. If you go, it's – louisianabelieves.org.com. I can never remember, but it's um, www.louisianabelieves.org.com or just Google Louisiana Department of Education. And they have an early childhood. You'll see a little section for early childhood, and you'll see a section for parents. And on that section, on the early childhood page, you will be able to look up – Different, the child care centers in an area, and they are... Oh, so there are rankings. They're rankings they're now, yes. Oh, okay. There's, and they're available on these two locations. They're available online. If you live uh-huh. in Orleans Parish now and you're in publicly funded, you're trying for publicly funded um, slots, we now have Enroll NOLA, um, part of that whole common enrollment process, they have early childhood. And... Um, and they have information on their sites about each of the early childhood programs as well. Hmm. I want to go back for a minute to the training uh, certificate, the CDA, because um, I'm sure there are some people in my audience who 
are still determining what they're going to do for a career and, yes. and, and, and what's their next step in, in their career. Um, so this is training they can get where and how, and is it expensive and how long does it take? What does it take to get a CDA? You have to get a high school degree, and then you have to take a certain number of clock hours, um, or you can do it as an associate in, in a community or technical college system, but you could also do it outside of that. I do not know the cost. I know if you're currently at a child care center as a teacher, you can begin as a teacher at a child care center and then get this um, CDA. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, because our state is doing a big push to try to get more, you know, higher quality centers, they will pay for the classes for people in oh. class, publicly funded centers. Now, this oh, isn't every really center, important. but it's yeah. for centers that take our publicly funded kids. There's been, and I give our, I, I give a shout out to our Department of Education that has been working very hard with very little money to try to put money where it will ma- make the most difference, our mm-hmm. quality dollars and um, increase. So Agenda for Children in New Orleans um, has one of those programs. Um, but if, if, if someone hire, gets hired as a teacher in a child care, program, child care center, um, again, that center will know how to access that. And it is, there are scholarships available. And, um, and, and if you have a CDA, presumably you get paid a little better? Yes. You yeah. do. And then you can access the school readiness tax credits too. Uh, so I, that's it, very it cool. It seems like a natural thing for a lot of people who may not have a lot of uh, further education. Yeah. Uh, but and who but who are nurturing who do like to work with it's children um, to get this um, uh, CDA what does it stand for exactly Yeah, I was afraid you're going to ask that. Uh, <laughs> it's Child a, Development Associate, I think is right. Yeah. Uh, I should know it off the top of my head, but of course it won't come to me as I'm trying to remember it. But um, yes, yeah, CDA. It's a national certification, and it's excellent. Like I say, you get a certain number of clock hours. You get you do a portfolio of of, of work, and then you get observed by someone who's been trained for that, and um, and it's excellent. It really, child care providers say it really makes a difference in a teacher um, and their background. And so on, on the other hand, I asked you the question a minute ago, and, and, and we kind of addressed this uh, a, a few minutes before because I was asking you, you know, what 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 goes into that building of the foundation. So what can a mother or a father um, or could wind up being an auntie or a grandmom, sure. you know, there's all kinds of folks who get pulled into raising children. Um, how, um, what can they do working with children if they cannot get them into child care that might have a similar value? So we talked about one-on-one personal communication and how yeah. important that is. Now, I'm not sure I'm understanding. Do you mean just when they're home with their children or where they would they then where where they then well, put a child while say, they're caring? I would say both. If if they can't get into uh you know, get get the funding from one of these programs. Yeah. What are their alternatives, either programmatically or if they literally are, are stuck having to just not work and yeah. be home with a child, yeah. what, 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 what Which are the can, things they course, can do to compensate for the lack of the sure. program? Well, and, of course, being home with a child is wonderful if, if it's a choice, you know. And um, I, I, for one, was able to – I was practicing law in state and quit to stay home with my children because, um, ironically, this was 30 years ago, 40 – I couldn't get good child care. <laughs> and so it, it makes me sad that I'm – now doing all this work all these years later, and we're still fighting the same battles. For me, it wasn't a, even a, a matter of cost. I mean, for, for some care, it's just hard to find 
spots for quality care at any price, especially for young children, infants, um, especially are very difficult to find slots um, at any price, as I say. But um, but anyway, in terms of if you're home with your children, you know, key things are reading to your children. That's very important. Um, and it's so hard. I know parents are so busy, especially if they're working. Even when they're not working, it's just a crazy life now for everybody. But to take time to interact with your children, to turn off the TV, to get rid of the screens, and to play with your children. It's that one-on-one play and time together that's critical, and nothing replaces it. TV certainly, TV is not a good thing. Academy of Pediatrics says screen time, TV time for infants it, and, and young children should be very limited. Um, I know it's hard to do in this, in this what, world. What's wrong with that? It, because again, it's, uh, as we go back to brain development, it's the serve and return notion that builds the brain. And children cannot get that from TV or from any screen because it's, they are looking at a parent's face, the tone of their voice. And I say parent, I mean an adult's face, the tone of their voice, the interaction. Um, the attachment to an adult is critical. So you don't attach to a screen. <laughs> you have to attach to a human being. And that's critical for children's social-emotional development. You know, uh, this is going to sound, um, a, a, I don't know, a little pathetic maybe, but I don't have children. Um, my husband, we have three, I have three stepchildren that are all grown because my husband had children very young. Um, but I'm a big dog raiser. <laughs> Dogs are wonderful. <laughs> I have lots. I've had lots of dogs, especially Catahoula hounds, which are about the most difficult. You could call those dogs at risk because they you never know what they're going to do. They, they, you have to really work with them. But um, we, we practice that kind of heavy interaction. Interesting. With the with dogs. These, with these kids of ours, these four-legged kids. And I can't tell you how many people comment on how sweet my dogs are, they always say. And the vets, when my, when I walk into a vet with my dog, oh, it's, it's Bo, it's Eric. And I say, and they say, oh, he's so sweet. And I say, well, all dogs are sweet, aren't they? She says, no, your dogs are exceptional. And I know that it's just because we invest so much. I'm sure. Time in them. You know, yes. Just with them. We both work. Yes. In, at home, our offices are in our homes, and um, not uh, compl- entirely, of course, but a, a good part of our, our time is spent there, and so they get a lot of. So I can understand totally how that interaction. It and makes how sense. That is, and yet, sadly, in, in in this day and age where we've got so everybody's much, everybody's got their faces in their phones, right? Instead of and and, and we've kids. got so much coming at us. I mean, I understand where parents are coming from. It's so tough, but just to just. For the, to the extent that you can be intentional about thinking, okay, I'm going to take time today to put that all away and interact with my child, and this is going to be critical for their brain development. To realize how really important it is for your child, you're doing, you know, something that is critical. I, if I may say one other thing that I would caution parents about, and that is something that I think most people don't realize. For child care centers that are small, that care for six or fewer children, usually it's out of a home. Those are totally unlicensed and unregulated in our state. We are one of only three states where that's the case. I don't think parents realize so that they could be excellent. The problem is you have a better assurance walking into a restaurant and eating food and not getting sick from it than you have of putting your child in a family home, as we call them, and have 
have any assurance of health or safety even in that home. So it's not to say that those aren't excellent places, but the burden is on the parent to totally investigate if you are, are thinking of putting your child, and most parents, that's where most kids are because it's less expensive and it's all parents can afford. But if you're putting your child in a family home, which is a home they should only have, first of all, they should only have six or fewer kids. When you hear about kids getting hurt, usually they have more than six kids, but we have no way of knowing because if they aren't licensed, then you don't get inspected. Mm, so yeah. they should only have six or fewer kids. And um, the parent just needs to really research that place and um, the person who's providing for it and just know there's absolutely no state regulation of any kind of those um, of those places. So I, I'm gonna um, I, I want to do um, a couple things be- before we close out uh, uh, this evening. So I want to talk about going forward, and I, I'm, I'm I'm always urging as Mark did. You know, he said he called to action, telling people. Yeah. You need to call Cassidy. You need to call Kennedy. You have to. You have to be out there. Oh, bless you! Bless you! <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just somehow. Just a cold moment just hit me there. Um, uh, what um um <laughs> caused advocacy to lose my train of thought? No, advocacy. Uh, the importance yeah. of yeah. of getting out there and and doing. I think we all. I don't know. We've become a little bit passive, uh, partially because of this. It is the machine age where you, 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 I understand the whole thing about it, why it's not good to be watching television because it's passive. Yeah. It basically is not engaging you in, in, in bringing out your ability to think and act. But, um, I, I wonder what should, what can people who want to help make sure that the, child care opportunities in our state improve so that our kids can improve. You know, I, I, I don't I don't talk about crime and I don't do interviews about crime on my show because I feel it is such a um, a problem that cannot be solved head on. It has to be solved through the kinds of things we're talking about, early childhood, education, and programs and working with families and all kinds of things that have to do with the way a kid comes up. And, and, and once, once it's, it's on the other end, it's just so much more difficult. It's so, so hard. What, what, um, if, if somebody wants to help, and you mentioned the Fight Crime Invest in Kids. That's specifically, yes, that's a national organization specifically for folks who are in the criminal justice system. Oh, but okay. but there's lots that people can do. And I, I, I know it feels so overwhelming sometimes. There's so many things that need us to act on. But as 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 Mayor Morial, um, I'm old enough to remember when he was mayor, but anyway, as Mayor Morial um, was saying, your voice really does count. And so in this case... I mean, what happened, yes, you know, again, as I said in my interview with him, what happened yesterday was, I think, purely a demonstration of people around this country, first of all, getting woken up to the facts right. because they had bought this line about how terrible yes. Obamacare was and they just had no idea what right. really that was all about. And when it start, when the, when the, let's see, what's the an expression here that won't be... Um, that's FCC allowed to say. <laughs> and the whatever hits the whatever. Yes. Um, it, in the end, 
it, it's really a, a, a terrible yes. um, situation. So, I, 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 there's no question that advocacy can make a difference. I, I am a lobbyist. I'm a lobbyist for little kids. Basically, I work up at the legislature, and um, and I see what happens. And and folks like Senator Morrell, and I'd also like to mention Representative Walt Leger, who's been a wonderful champion of early childhood as well, who's also from this area. We need to support them in their efforts and everyone else to call their legislators and say, this is important. We want you to prioritize funding for early care and education for our youngest children, birth through age four. We don't accept the cuts to child care assistance that you've been making. Please prioritize it. We have a fabulous... And this is something that uh, anybody should do, not just people, uh, parents... Exactly. uh, 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 ...who have children at home. But, you know, if if we care... Again, if we care about the crime situation and, you know, right off they were talking about these two kids... The kids who who attacked the uh, the visitors in the French Quarter yeah, the other it's night, awful. and they were living at Covenant House. Now I know what that means. If you're in Covenant House, that means for some reason home is not a place you can be. Right. There's something going wrong in home. So those kids already are kids that are damaged by difficult situations. Right. So again. They could have benefited. Exactly. Exactly. And also, all of our citizens pay for kids. We're paying for the fact that these kids are falling behind, as well as for just in school, for more special ed, for more whatever. You know, it costs us more money in our tax dollars. It's much better to get it right from the beginning and help the families to help the adults be able to work. So, so. what can they do? They can call Leger, they can but there's other people they've got to call because one of the things I think that we're we're not doing is we're not talking to I, I don't want to say the enemy, but we're not talking to the other side. And so um and, and when Mark said call Cassidy and Kennedy, so Kennedy has said he's in favor of the the existing health care bill that's up there, which is such a bad bill. But I, I you know, I can't believe that Kennedy wouldn't respond to a lot of pressure from the state. He's been so under the radar, apparently deliberately, to keep from getting that kind of pressure. Yeah. But again, you put those calls in. And it's not, I mean. They count them. Oh, they count them. It's no question. And we have a fabulous legislative website. I encourage all citizens to go to it. If you just Google Louisiana Legislature. It is one of the best. I, I, I brag to my colleagues in other states. It is, and people tell me when from other states who look at it, it is the best legislative website I've ever seen. Well, you can that's partic- good news. It, you, it's, it's, it's stunning. It's fabulous. And you can find your legislature. All you've got to do, you go there, and on the left-hand side, right on the home page, it says, who's my legislator? You just click on there. And it'll take you, you put in your zip code, and it'll give you the contact uh, information for your legislators. And that's what I think a lot of people, keeps a lot of people from making the call because they don't know who it, their I, legislator I, is. How do you keep it straight? I mean, you vote on these people, but you're voting on a lot of people at the same time. It's so easy. If you go to the legislative website, you can find that information so quickly. You just click, and then you can click on and get to their website, and they give you their their district office, I encourage you to call the district office. They get so much email. But email's great, too, especially personalized email. You know, they, they, this sort of um, email that, you know, a million people are sending the same email is not as effective. Faxing is effective. Calling them, especially when they're not in session, is great to call them because then they're not getting as much at once. And getting a lot of people numbers count. What's on the agenda coming up in coming sessions that people need to pay attention to and be prepared to mobilize and communicate with their legislators about? 
I would say the key thing for us is funding. And, of course, that's the most um, difficult of both pre-K to ensure that we don't cut the pre-K programs anymore. And then the huge thing that is so important and has been so cut is the child care assistance program. That's really what we need advocacy around. We need to restore the cuts that have been made to the child care assistance program because, again, that benefits both parents who are trying to get to work and to be productive workers and then, of course, children who can then access higher quality care so they don't start school behind. Um, yeah. So um, if you're calling right now to your legislature, give me a little script. Give me a little rehearsal. Okay. I would say um, hello, Representative or Senator X. I'm so-and-so. I live in your district. And I just want you to know that I care deeply about early care and education for our state. And I would ask you to please restore the funding for the child care assistance program. Um, again, that, that's been cut by $65 million. It has a terrible effect on our children and families, as well as our employers. And um, we think you should prioritize. We know there's no money right now. They'll always, legislators will tell you, which is true, we have no money. And the response is, it's about priorities. We have money. It's how we're choosing to spend it. This is about prioritizing something that gets the highest return on investment of a public dollar that you can probably get. So. Louisiana Legislature. Yeah. Com or org. Yeah, I would just Google Louisiana Legislature. It'll get that'll, you right there. You and go. you can go to our website. We have lots of information on our website. Um, What's and that? we keep it. And it is um, with the Louisiana Policy Institute for Children. Our website is www.louisianapolicyinstitutela.org. Or again, just Google us, Louisiana Policy Institute for Children. And our, we have an email address there too. If you would like to get involved more specifically, you're welcome to email me. I would love, I, don't offer me volunteerism if you don't mean it, because I'll take you up on it. We can use people. It would be great. My email address is mmbronfin, B-R-O-N-F as in Frank, I-N, at Policy Institute. LA.org. So I, I'm, I'm so impressed with what you've been doing. I wish we had, I mean, we, we've kind of talked this pretty thoroughly through. We had a little extra time to play with, um, but I still feel like I didn't really plumb who you are and why you do this. And we have maybe just two minutes left. How did you get so hooked on this? Well, I, as I mentioned, I quit practicing law and stayed home with my kids and started to become a volunteer and found myself drawn to advocacy. And I was doing juvenile justice work, and I kept feeling not that we shouldn't help those kids, of course, but that for volunteer work, that was so late. It was so difficult to impact those kids. And I kept getting younger and younger down to birth. <laughs> and now I feel like this is the time if I have – some volunteer hours for me, it was at that time, and now it's a paid job. But um, birth to four is when we can have such an incredible impact on a child's life. Thank you so much, Melanie Bronfin, M.M. Bronfin at Policy Institute. LA.org. LA.org if you'd like to help out. Louisiana Legislature to make your calls. Y'all, go out to um, Essence and have a, uh, a great time this weekend and go hear Mark at 3.30 at the convention center. and. Um